0: You're listening to Java with Jen with your host, Jenilee Samuel. Hey, 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 listeners. Okay, so in lieu of Valentine's Day, this wonderful holiday of love, I decided to do a special extra podcast this month, a little mini podcast with my husband. And we collected some questions off of Facebook that people might have. And while we are absolutely no perfect model marriage. (laughs) I think we've learned more from our speed bumps than we have our successes. Um, But we wanted to just throw some things out there. I feel like people learn a lot when we share our own personal, real, honest stories. So Mm. I would love to welcome my husband, Stephen. Welcome back to the show.
1: It's good to be back.
0: We're going to jump in (laughs) with some of these questions. First, let me ask Stephen. So what do you think about Valentine's Day, dear?
1: I think it's a great thing (laughs) <laughs> Do you really? Is that a trick question?
0: <laughs> so he actually planned ahead and planned some plans for us tonight.
1: Did, a month ago.
0: A month ago. Now, let me just tell y'all, this is an award-winning move on his part. So apparently we're going to go to some nice restaurant, mm-hmm. right? We're going with some friends, mm-hmm. and it's going to be sweet. We I feel, realized we didn't tell you guys how we met. So Stephen and I met, maybe we did this in another podcast, I don't remember. But Stephen and I met when I worked for a ministry in Texas... And my job was to call youth pastors around the country and do like PR work with the ministry and, uh, and the youth pastors. And so, he, uh, so I called him. He was on my call list. So I finally, we talked in that first conversation. We talked for like over an hour or something. It was really great. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I hung up the phone, I turned to my cubicle mate and I said, Natalie, I could totally marry somebody like that. <laughs> and so he and I would communicate over the phone quite a bit. And finally, it got to the point where it was making it hard for me to get the rest of my work done during the workday. <laughs> so I was like, you're going to have to call me in the dorms. Or actually, I think he asked or something. Somehow, he started calling me in the dorms. And then... It was Keith Green's property, old property. And so he was like, I love Keith Green. Let me come visit the property. And I was like, okay. And so he came and visited and I was trying to hook him up with my roommate and he was trying to hook me up with the guy that he brought. And (laughs) clearly neither of those plans worked. And so when I graduated, uh, I was like, like when I, when I met him though, I mean, he's shorter than me. He was not Hispanic. He was really sarcastic, and so I was like, "Eh, I'm not interested in this guy, and so I was like content to not really ever talk to him again, which sounds terrible, Um, and so after I graduated, (laughs) though, he emailed me and was like, hey, let's keep up, so our our whole relationship was over the phone, so I moved back to Arizona, and he was in Texas, and so we just continued an over-the-phone friendship, and then kind of slowly and gradually... It kind of evolved. Do you remember when we kind of had our turning point and became romantic?
1: I've told it a few times. I want to hear your version. I don't think we have time for my version. I don't know.
0: Oh, my gosh. Okay.
1: <laughs> I can't perform like that.
0: I know. Okay. So, basically... Uh, We were on the phone one night, and I could tell, like, I could feel in my heart and my discerning that his heart was kind of changing towards me. I think because I would talk to him about this guy that I had a crush on, and he would kind of shut down. He would kind of, like, become less conversational. And I was like, dude, what is your problem? You're like my best friend. You need to be talking to me. And (laughs) he did not like me talking about this other guy. So I was kind of like, huh. So then one night we were talking, and I was like, you know... I wonder if I'll be friends with whoever you end up marrying because I'd love to come to your wedding. And he was trying to make a joke and was like, "Or you could be the bride." And I was like, Ugh.
1: "Smooth move." Smooth move. Smooth except
0: move. I was like, "I was like, wait, what did you say?" And he was like, "Or you could be the bride." Like joke is totally failing right now. And I was like, "Wait, what? 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 Three did you times. Say? Three times I made him repeat himself. So he was like, "Okay, joke fail." You know. So I, he hung up the phone that night but he never went into it, never took the opportunity to share actually his true feelings that were happening under the surface. Mm -hmm. So that night, I just remember running upstairs to my roommate and like throwing myself on the couch, hand over the forehead, you know, so dramatic, like, he said I could be the bride. How am I supposed to sleep like this? I have butterflies, you know, and uh, it was so funny. So the next day, I, um, I still didn't want to take the initiative and like lead the conversation into all that I wanted he I was like he's the man I want him to lead and I was like stressing about it so I was like praying Mm -hmm. and I was like God make Stephen be honest with me and the Lord finally was like dude he's your friend just ask him how he feels and so I was like Mm -hmm. okay fine so we're on the phone call and I was like okay I was still trying to leave the ball in his court of course and so Mm -hmm. I was like okay Stephen so you know, when you pray for me, what kind of things do you pray for me? (laughs) Thinking I'd get him to confess, oh, I hope I marry you, you know. And he's like, oh, I pray for humility and for this and that. And in my head, I'm like, wah, 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 not what I'm looking for. And uh, I was like, okay, okay. And then he asked me, and he goes, so what do you pray for me about? And I was like, (laughs) oh, here's my lucky spot. And I was like, for transparency. Mm. And he just kind of got quiet, and he was like, oh. And he just like got quiet and I was like, ding, ding. He's pretty quick. He figured out what I was saying. So then he finally speaks up and he goes, he goes, okay, so basically I think I've fallen in love with you and I'm not sure what to do about it. Mm -hmm. Poor guy. I had been not interested in him at all. Actually, I knew this was coming. So I'd prayed about it and I told the Lord. I'm completely not interested in this guy romantically. Mm-hmm. So if you want something to happen, you're going to have to change my heart. And I'm not ch- praying about this again, because I don't want to give you excess opportunity to change my heart. <laughs> 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 but sure enough, in like three weeks time, the Lord shifted my heart. And when Stephen was like, hey, I kind of like you a lot. I was like, wow, I kind of felt excited. And so I shared with him what I felt the it's Lord was doing. and there. it's all downhill from there. So yeah, so we were all over the phone and... So we'd only seen each other face-to-face once at that point. And so right after that, that was in like April. So in May, he came to visit. And in July, I visited him in Texas, and that's when he proposed. He did good. And so we got engaged, and then we got married less than a year later. So yep, yeah, we were all long distance, so that's how we got married. So we will go with our, okay, babe, this is not interesting. I'm the only one sharing that story. I know, we're
1: loving it. We're all listening. Oh, my gosh.
0: Okay, so we're going to jump into these questions so this doesn't get too long. All right, so, mm-hmm. so Lena asked our first kind of batch of questions. She had some really great ones. Her first question was, how do you make intentional time for each other?
1: What would you say to this, babe? Well, I think making intentional time is just that. If you don't set aside time to spend, put it in your planner, your calendar, or whatever you use, devices to... Uh, plan time with your spouse, then it just doesn't happen organically, or usually it happens in conflict. And so I would say just intentionally, when you think about it, don't just pass up the thought. Stop and write it down. Put it in a calendar. Make time for each other. How have you learned this valuable lesson? Oh,
0: I don't think we came into the relationship knowing this.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, when you first start in a marriage, you want to spend a lot of time with each other. And then life hits, kids happen and work and building your life. And so you have to get into your calendar every week and make plans to spend time with your spouse.
0: Yeah. I think a lot of these lessons you learn through failure and then you realize up we need a system in place. We need to do something. This is a problem, let's remedy the problem. So if you feel like fireworks are going off and not in a great way in mm. your relationship, just realize that's okay. It just means hey there might be a problem here and we need to take time to address it. Um so I would also encourage like when those fireworks are happening to step back, take a deep breath and just recognize okay Fireworks are happening because one of us has an expectation that's not being met. There may be a bigger problem under the surface here, and that is okay. Mm-hmm. And we just need to recognize it and come up with a solution. And I think when we can step back from the natural emotional reactions, then it makes things a little easier. We've definitely learned that one through bumbling through it and tripping on our mm-hmm. faces a few times. Even, I forgot to say this in the intro. Stephen mm-hmm. and I are coming up on our 14-year...
1: Fourteen.
0: Anniversary. The big one for. Next month. The big one for. (laughs) But I remember when we were married like two years, looking at people who'd been married like 10 years and thinking, oh my gosh, how did they ever even last that long? So here we are like old people. Okay. So I would say intentional time for each other. um, Intentional being the key word. It's not going to accidentally happen because life happens and the demands... uh, can monopolize your schedule. I once, when I was in a leadership school, they trained us about the importance of recognizing decisions and things that are urgent versus important and making sure that we prioritize important while making enough time for those that are urgent to be able to happen. But if we're prioritizing important, then the urgent factor Mm -hmm. will tend to take care of itself because those important things will be getting taken care of instead of being shoved to a last-minute thing, which then makes them urgent. So when we tend to your relationship and realize, hey, time for each other is important, let's build it in and be proactive before it becomes urgent, then you can kind of proactively avoid some unnecessary conflict and stuff. Um, So, But some practical ways that we do that is we have a wonderful thing at our church called Date Night where they plan once a month. It's second Friday of every month. So if you go to cathedral, you can totally jump in on this. Um, but we plan for date nights. And so date night happens at least once a month. Mm -hmm. Um, I think Steven's better about planning for intentional time than I am, honestly. Steven, share some of the stuff that you do.
1: Well, I'd say just putting it into my calendar and, you know, whenever Jen asks for time to spend together, if you don't plan it right away, then you'll just keep putting it off. And so I think, One of the big things is like, if you feel like you need to spend time together, you have to ask. There's nothing wrong with asking your spouse, hey, we need to spend some time together. And to be very specific, don't just wait for them to come up with something, because then you're going to set your expectations very high, and then you're going to get disappointed. So when I feel like we haven't spent time together, I'll text Jen, I'll say, hey, let's talk tonight after the kids, go to bed, or let's do lunch tomorrow, or sometimes it's very spontaneous and I have to be prepared for, you know, she can or can't do it, but I think you just have to plan ahead. That's the that's the big deal. Yeah. You just have to plan.
0: I think um, what I've learned both from <clears throat> our our experimenting with that, especially in different seasons, when your kids are tiny and life is just less planable because their needs take precedent. Um, it does make those things a little harder, so it does require flexibility. And but I think ways that we would do that sometimes is instead of choosing to turn on the TV and veg out at the end of the day. We would maybe watch a thirty-minute show and then choose to talk and mm-hmm. spend some time talking. And I mean, I have some friends; they lay in bed with chips and snacks every night after the kids go to bed, and they just have a good old time. And I think that's wonderful. We've tried, we've tried that. We've never successfully made that a routine. Um, so, you, but you have to pay attention to your season. And you know, when the kids are tiny, they're either sleeping in your room or waking up at all hours. And so you just have to work around what are the natural hurdles, and just try to find those little windows. I think sometimes we think it has to be hours of time, but honestly, 30 minutes or 20 minutes of connecting time can, can really do wonders for mm-hmm. the relationship if you're doing it frequently and consistently as opposed to hours and hours. So, um, Okay, so her next question was how to keep marriage fresh and fun. That kind of tags on to the last question. Yeah. How, did, how do you like to keep things fun, babe?
1: I mean, I think spontaneity and... In- Just thinking of your spouse and doing things together, uh, not necessarily having to plan out everything, but just kind of sounds contradictory, but just keeping things spontaneous, um, activities together, sometimes just taking a weekend to get away or, you know, planning things, a quick lunch here, a quick dinner here or breakfast, that kind of keeps things fresh and moving, I think. Um, Yeah.
0: Yeah. When the kids were little, this was a little harder um, just because they're so demanding. But as they've all gotten into school, something we enjoy sometimes doing mm. is right after he drops them off to school, sometimes he'll come back to the house if his schedule for the day allows, and we'll have breakfast. And then sometimes we'll do, like, spontaneous lunch, which sometimes doesn't work because if I have my day all planned out or his day is all planned out, it just won't work. But um, I think another way to keep it fresh and fun is even finding different conversation topics. We've been kind of working on our ability to communicate more deeply and I realized that I, in my effort to make things deeper, I was kind of losing sight of like actually having fun conversation and like keep, like lightheartedness can also help you get to those deeper topics. Mm-hmm. And realizing I was like, you know what? They have great apps out there of like conversation starters and fun questions that you don't normally think of that just can spur conversation. Mm. And I think that's really fun. It like totally mixes things up. You're not stuck on your normal merry-go-round of the same topics you always talk about. So
1: that's yeah. fun. There's a, a saying I think Kai Alpha teaches. It says, laughter makes the heart grow fond, but commitment, uh, sacrifice breeds commitment. So laughter makes the heart grow fond, but sacrifice breeds commitment. And you kind of have to have a balance of both. You have to enjoy hanging out, being funny. But if every conversation becomes you know, grueling, deep, you know, it demands a lot of commitment. And so you have to have a balance of the two. So you can't just always be jovial and not talk about deep things. Uh But you can't always talk about deep things and not have any fun because then Uh it becomes emotionally... overbearing
0: i know i say i'm sorry because i'm the one who does that (laughs) he's really good at breaking the tension with jokes and stuff and i'm always the one that's like super intense and sometimes i just gotta pull back on my intensity and remember i have a funny side and i have a fun playful side and sometimes i just need to be willing to laugh at us or make jokes and just be goofy so yeah don't underestimate the power of some simple laughter okay Hard season and how to pull through. This was a question that we actually saw a few times, that marriage has seasons. Marriage has tough seasons. How do you pull through those things? And that could probably be a full podcast on its own, honestly. Yeah. Because marriage is absolutely tough. And, like, actually, how about this? The other question that kind of leads into that is, has marriage been what you expected? Mm-hmm. And I would say no. I was very idealistic, and I had lots of... um pictures built in my head, not even from my own parents' marriage, but just from my dreams, my little girlish dreams. Forgetting like, hi, you're going to marry a human being? Like Mm -hmm. someone who has like strengths and weaknesses, someone who has bad days sometimes. So marriage was not what I expected because of that. And I think because my expectations were so idealistic, it did make seasons of our life much harder Mm -hmm. than they probably needed to be. Yeah. And I, I'm sorry.
1: (laughs) Well, and I think you have to remember that the idealism is probably one of the most uh, damaging uh, elements in a marriage is where one person comes in with high expectations, or both people have high expectations, and yet they're unhinged from reality. I mean, if you look through the Bible, there is no perfect marriage. Like, from Genesis to Revelation, you look at the life of people, the chronicles of the Jewish people, and you find that there are no perfect marriages. I mean... The closest maybe you get is Abraham and Sarah. And he Uh, lied. (laughs) And he lied about his wife, sold her out a few times to other guys. I mean, Isaac and Rebecca, I mean, there was a a great deal of mistrust. You know, she favored one son. Isaac favored another son. And so this idea that, you know, if if we do everything right, then we're going to have the perfect marriage uh, is just a fairy tale. And not that we can't enjoy marriage and have— incredible seasons where we, uh, love our spouse and love our marriage, but that comes after seasons of going through hardship where you learn how to not be selfish and how to love one another. I think idealistically, or, or the idealism that many times gets, uh, perpetuated from marriage counseling to messages on marriage to random, you know, just advisory, uh, roles that play in our life people will tell us these are all the things you need to do for a perfect marriage and the truth is it's, it's a, a letdown it's a big letdown <laughs> because you have your expectations super high and people are really trying to prevent you from heart damage or struggles in your heart and the truth is those struggles are what make a marriage successful is yeah. when you walk through the struggles and so yeah. not setting your expectations super high for like you know this disneyland kind of idea of what marriage should look like is a great way to alleviate a lot of tension and stress and just say, okay, this is the person I'm married to. I'm going to learn how to love them by putting aside my idealism and just being real with them. And you find that no matter who you marry, no matter how perfect they are or how imperfect they are, if each person in the marriage deals with themselves and allows the Holy Spirit to begin to work on their heart, the marriage will mend, the marriage will survive. And so it's just a lot of times I think, in the newlywed phase or in the earliest years of marriage, when we have a lot of idealism, it kind of sets us up for blaming later and frustration later and yeah. even blaming God. You know, God, why did you uh, let me marry this person knowing all this stuff? Well, yeah. God kind of let them marry you knowing all the stuff you have too. And so yeah. you have to look at it both ways that if we get too idealistic, that's what puts a lot of frustration in marriage. It's
0: true. And I mean, just like anything else in life, like the word says that count it all joy when trials and troubles come your way because these things are for basically you're maturing, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And so the testing and trials and challenges in marriage, I found every time that we would go through something where it feels like this real difficult Thing in our marriage is in our faces to the point where you want to quit, you want to give up. I find that the, those are the moments when the Lord's allowing pressure to bring those things to the surface, because that's what he's trying to highlight to fix and to mm. to heal. And unless it comes to the surface, you don't even know it's there to give your attention to it. And so it did give me some stamina In those moments, to be able to recognize that was God's pattern in our life and to be able to then, instead of attacking my husband as much as I was inclined to do, is instead go to prayer and be like, God, I know you're doing something. I need you to heal. And how do I partner with you? How do I... Um, work alongside what you're trying to do in Him and in me, and how do we let your kingdom be established in our hearts so that your kingdom can be visible in our marriage? Um, And it's just because you learn from those hard moments. We all have baggage, and we all have selfishness, and we all have ideals and expectations, and weeding through all of that is what makes the process messy and bumpy, but it's also what entwines your
1: hearts together. Mm -hmm. You know, I think the last thing on that point is, I if you have people in your life that you can talk to about marriage, it helps bring a realistic yeah. picture of what marriage looks like. Yeah. Because a lot of times you can create in your mind an ideal of what marriage should look like that's completely unhinged from reality. But then talking to people who have successful marriages will help you kind of ground yourself in this is what it should look like. Yeah. Uh, and when I say pe- talking to people, it doesn't mean everyone you talk to should have a perfect marriage. It means they've been married for a while and they seem 80% of the time happy with their marriage. And I saw that m- number out there because you're not going to find anybody that's 100% of the time happy with their marriage. If they say they are, they're really lying because <laughs> there's a percentage of time where you go through marriage and you're not happy. And so like in any relationship, I mean, even in your relationship with the Lord, to say you're 100% happy all the time Mm -hmm. is somewhat idealistic. Like there's seasons you go through when you question God's character, you question his nature, you question what's happening in your life. And yes, you'll come out of it, but it's not always 100% where we have this great confidence because we're learning how to trust and in a marriage relationship, you talk to people who have gone through marriage for years. And that's why like that those elderly couples in your church or your family, in your community that have a viable, successful marriage, just because someone's married a long time doesn't mean they're successful. Mm-hmm. They've been married a long time, and they still love each other. They still care for each other. They still take care of each other in an affectionate way. Then that's a successful marriage.
0: Yeah, I would say, too, you don't want to... You don't want to seek out the people who are going to relate to you from a soulish place of like just patting your feelings and and siding with you. Like, I intentionally talk to married couples who, A, their marriage is healthy, but B, I know they're going to challenge me if I am demonstrating unhealthy thinking. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because I, at the end of the day, I want God's kingdom established in my heart and in my marriage, and if I'm thinking wrong and I have lies operating, I need them to be able to tell me that because that is, in essence, the problem, you know? And so making sure you're not just finding someone who's siding with you emotionally and making you feel better, but someone who's going to lead you um, in partnership with the Word to truth. And so, um, yeah, I feel like that's that's a really big deal. Okay, so go ahead. Did you have another
1: thought? Well, I think the next question is, how do you get through different seasons in marriage or how do you get through difficult seasons? And I think community is probably the biggest, yeah, the biggest answer to that. Because you can read a lot of books, and I read books, you know. You can, you know, spend hours praying and seeking the Lord, which is very healthy. But I think community, talking to people who have very good marriages uh, in your life, and that doesn't mean necessarily again that I'm perfect. But even in the old um, Jewish culture, if you will, marriage was a family decision it was a you know one family decides to marry with another family and Mm so husbands and wives although they weren't solely dependent on parental advice or you know aunts and uncles that's where they would get their idea of what it meant to have a healthy marriage have a healthy um, you know relationship with a spouse how to raise your kids how to build your finances community is very important so if you're doing your marriage alone and you're afraid of exposing your weaknesses to people in your church community or you know small group or whatever, then you're really kind of choosing the hardest route possible for your marriage. Yeah. Yeah. And eventually what will happen is all your weaknesses will come out. Not that it's an ashamed thing, but you're going to desperately need someone to jump in. So it's better just to yeah. pull people into your circle who have successful marriages and yeah. say, hey, what do you do that works? What, do you, what have you found does not work yeah. uh, when it comes to dealing with conflict, when it comes to dealing with finances, dealing with kids, and that kind of thing?
0: Yeah. So, Ms. Carrie, your question was How do we keep faithfulness and dedication to our spouse despite distractions?
1: It's a good question. I think uh, you just have to be very intentional about it. That kind of sounds like your answer to the other question yep. How do we keep
0: each other a priority? Yeah, I think, I think that really is it. Like you just have to be able to step back. I think honestly, when I'm having time with the Lord, the Lord will bring things to my attention that things are getting out of balance or he'll bring needs of my husband to my attention and be like, hey, this maybe needs your attention or you kind of blew him off when this happened or
1: whatever. And so... So how do we keep faithfulness and dedication despite distractions? And I think the big part of... How not to get distracted is is choosing not to be selfish. That's a big deal because mm. when you're selfish, or you put your needs above the needs of your spouse, or feel like you, your needs need to be met first? what's really happening is there's selfishness happening. Yeah. And so, we can try to force force an emotional response out of your out of our spouses, and eventually, what it becomes is manipulation. And what we're really doing is trying to serve ourselves. And so, how do you keep your faithfulness and dedication? is by choosing to serve and humble yourself and, and love, not not allowing like, you know, um, we're not talking about in, in, in the extremes of like abuse and things, but we're talking in, in just the common everyday, I'm going to humble myself and not put myself first. I'm going to put my spouse first. That keeps a lot of distractions out of the way. Now, are there going to be distractions in your marriage? Absolutely. Distractions in the context of things that absorb your time, yeah. things that absorb your emotional um, Emotional capacity in the sense of like how how you want to communicate and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I know like by the end of the day, I'm usually <laughs> worn out talking to people all, all his, day long. All his
0: words are used
1: up for sure. <laughs> so I have to really push through and say, okay, I need to go home and talk to my wife for a little bit tonight before the kids go to bed. And so just living in the place of like self-sacrifice keeps you faithful. Mm-hmm. Um, again, back to what I said earlier, like... Um, Sacrifice is what breeds commitment, and so um, even if you look in Ephesians chapter five, I believe, where talks Paul talks about the husband and the wife and the image of Christ, you always find that it's the husband or Christ who made the first sacrifice. In fact, that he laid his life down first before the response was even guaranteed from the bride. And so it says, "Husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the church." It's a message for a lot of men that you have to be the first one to lay down your life before you see the same thing happen in your spouse. Mm. And so I think, yeah.
0: yeah, I agree. And I think right with that, I think a lot of times we'll go into marriage and we'll have seen or heard from other couples, I'm so happy. Marriage is such a wonderful thing. I married my best friend and I just always want to be with them and all these wonderful things that are great, but also can make us feel depressed about our own marriage. Um, Possibly if you're in an unhappy place or a hard season. I think sometimes we'll use as a gauge for whether our marriage is good or not, um, how happy am I? But I think the best gauge, at least God's gauge, is how much are you giving up of yourself in order to love and serve the other person? Now, please understand, these answers we're using are in the context of a typical, healthy, normal, non-extreme marriage, meaning we're not talking about drug abuse. We're not talking about physical abuse. We're not talking about adultery. We're not talking about those extreme situations that can be the exceptions to the rule. We're just talking about your normal average marriage of two people trying to make it work. Um, and when we use our gauge of how happy am I, then it shifts the focus from me serving you to you serving me. And honestly, when we do that, that's when our unhappiness begins to grow because God's kingdom and, and life on earth was not designed to operate on a self-serving platform. It's meant to operate on I lay down my life. And he gave us that example in Christ, and he tells us, this is your example for marriage, lay down your life. And like Stephen said, it really does begin with the husband because that's the instruction giving in scripture. But I feel like women naturally will reciprocate that because we follow where we're led and um, and women naturally are givers and servers. Women naturally tend to want to lay our lives down. But even though that is the case, when we feel hurt or when we feel like we're not being looked out for... It can make us become self-preserving, and we have to be careful of that. And so having time with the Lord on a consistent basis or where you're regularly connecting with God's heart, whatever that looks like in your season— Connecting with God's heart will keep you in touch with His heart for laying down your life and the blessing that comes from that. It is freeing to give of yourself for the sake of love. It's actually very freeing, but it's scary in the first steps, if that makes sense. It can feel scary to take that risk or be vulnerable when you just want to put walls up. And so Those are some ways that I don't know that that totally speaks directly to that question, but keeping faithfulness alive and dedication is definitely born out of those sacrificial choices. All right, now I know that we've covered some possibly pretty out of the box thinking for some of you, just depending on what your background is. But the next thing I want to share with you is in my Life Hacks with Jen segment, this is a resource that let me tell you, I wish I had it 14 years ago when I was going into marriage and I'm so excited that I have this resource in my life right now because it is not just transforming my marriage, but it is transforming all of my relationships because it addresses a whole identity shift. You guys, this is life-changing. Don't miss it. Stay tuned for Life Hacks with Jen. All right, you guys, so I recently came across this book called Love After Marriage, and it is a class, actually, that our church does on Wednesday nights. The book is written by by Barry and Lori Byrne, and they're a couple that are out of Bethel Church in Redding, California, I believe, but let me tell you, this marriage book is different than any other marriage book I've ever approached, and I love how it really merges um, both spiritual understanding of what's going on behind marriage conflicts with really practical tools on how to overcome and how to um, bring maturity, how to take responsibility for ourselves and recognize when we are the ones that are propagating the problem and how to offer mercy and grace to the other person without feeling like your your needs are being overlooked. It is just so phenomenal. And really, the whole premise of it is built around your identity, who you are as a son of God, and relating to one another from that place of, I'm a son of God, I'm a daughter of God, and you, my spouse, are a son of God and are a daughter of God, even if you're not acting like one right now. <laughs> and I just love, there's, I, I can't even summarize this book for you. I can just tell you go look at it. I was, even one of the girls who's in the class with me was texting me, like days later after our first class, and she's like, I cannot stop thinking about this book. I was like, me either, because it just, let me tell you, it's just one of those things where you can feel on a deep level in your spirit that this is offering something to you more than just marriage counseling, more than just a couple solutions you'd pick up in a normal book. This is offering to you complete transformational life change on all levels, freedom and deliverance, honestly, freedom and deliverance from wrong ways of thinking deliverance from maybe spiritual dynamics that have bound you for years of anger or rejection or um, insecurity or all these different things. And even in this class, people get really vulnerable and really open. And, and, and it's, it's actually interesting, because as we go through the class, when people open up and get vulnerable, at first, it might be momentarily a little awkward, but then as they talk and they just open up their heart, I feel the presence of the Lord just come into the class through the vulnerability and the transparency. And then and then the truth that comes forward and it's never like, oh, we've got it figured out. It's like everyone is very transparent that, hi, we're all on this same journey and we're all having to recognize the enemy's voice or lies that we've always believed and how to practically take steps to not cooperate with those things anymore. You guys, this thing can change your whole life. So I really recommend this book, Love After Marriage. I hope you guys enjoyed this. Thank you, babe, for coming and being no my problem. my special guest again. You're so <laughs> great for that. Um, so you guys, happy Valentine's Day. I hope this was helpful and encouraging. And go have a wonderful day with your love. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's show. For those of you who've rated or shared this podcast on social media, thank you. It really means a lot to me. And don't forget, you can always email me with questions or comments at javawithjenpodcast at gmail.com. And for links or show notes, just go visit my blog at jenaleesamuel.wordpress.com. Until next time, you've got this and God's got you.